Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The Greenville Oaks Church of Christ seeks all who need Jesus and together are becoming His fully devoted followers, encouraging and equipping people to love God, love people, and serve others in an ever-growing way of life. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Peck. I remember sitting in a theater during the summer of 1995 when Apollo 13 came out. What I forgot about was how young Tom Hanks looked in 1995. The space program is one of the greatest stories of American imagination and ingenuity. In 1961, President John F. Kennedy made a promise that we would put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. And the space program kept that promise, but just barely. It was July 20th of 1969 when Neil Armstrong became the first human to step foot on the moon. And while most of us celebrate that successful moment, and a few of us still spin conspiracy theories about that being created in a Hollywood studio, the moment couldn't have happened without a lot of time resources, risk, and mathematics. In order to go to the moon, a spacecraft must first leave the gravity well of Earth. At least that's what my research has shown me in the last couple of weeks. And so we designed and learned to launch rockets to do just that. And over the next five weeks here at Greenville Oaks, we're going to talk about that metaphor for what we are trying to do as a church family. We are launching disciples. And this is a series focused not on all of us. All of us do have a call of being launched as disciples from this place into the world every single week as missionaries on God's behalf, as his hands and feet. But in this series, we're focused on how we do that with our kids and with our teens, because this is an important demographic that we don't want to have leave this place without a firm rooting in faith in Jesus Christ. And just as NASA has a team that develops a launch pad for a space shuttle to be launched from, Greenville Oaks desires to take the same kind of care to develop teams and a launch pad to help successfully launch our kids into the world. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to celebrate some milestones together. We're going to talk about how we're preparing as a church to help launch disciples, but maybe more importantly, how we can Together, as a community of faith, raise up followers of Jesus who, when they leave these doors, after their high school graduation, they're prepared to enter into the world and to keep their faith. Next week, we're going to celebrate our yearly family dedication service. This is when our babies are dedicated to the Lord. It's a reminder of what God has brought us as a gift this year, but it's also a sobering reminder ourselves of our task, our responsibility as a community to raise up those babies so that one day they will proclaim Jesus is Lord from the waters of baptism. And that they'll continue that journey on past that. The following Sunday is Mother's Day. And so we'll talk about the different phases of a child's life and journey of development, uh, developmentally, but also how does spiritual development occur and how can we play a role in that? Three weeks from today is our senior Sunday. Our high school seniors are the shuttles that are closest to their launch date in this place. And I, I can't wait to hear from them the stories of how they've been formed and how they plan to continue that launch in the days to come. 
And on that same Sunday, we'll actually have outside of services a sixth grade blessing, which is an, another milestone that we have entering into the youth group, entering into student ministry and into those important teenage years. And we're going to close on week five with suggestions for how we as a church can play our part, each one of us, in launching disciples here at this place. But also, I know that many of you have concern for lots of kids in schools around this community, your grandkids, perhaps great-grandkids. We all have a stake in this important conversation. And we want to see our kids and grandkids launched well. And I also want to let you know that after this service, we're going to be having an adult class, a combined class in what we call our fellowship center, the 180s. It's on the east end of our building. So if you'll, uh, after the service, walk down with the rest of us, we'd love to have you there because we're going to each week go into greater depth from what the sermon talks about to talk about uh, how do we uh, continue this process of launching disciples. And we're going to try to give you more info there. We'll all meet together uh, after this service uh, a little bit later on. But let's begin this morning with prayer, asking God to do what only God can do to impart these ancient words in a way that meets us today. God, we come before you today as your people. And we're in different places, God, in this journey, but we all care deeply about those young ones that you've placed in our care. God, around this room, I know there are names that come to mind automatically of kids in our own homes or, or grandkids, God, that we get to spend time with. Or maybe these are kids that we've passed faith on to, but right now we don't see the fruit of that in their lives. And God, our prayer is that more and more we can see your good fruit passed on in the lives of our young ones, God. And so, God, I pray for all of our kids that are here that are worshiping in our children's worship time today, for those students who are here in the room with us, for those who will be at second service, and those in our community who need to be launched well. God, that's our prayer that we can do that and that we can be all we need to be so that the deposit of faith can be effectively passed on and the baton handed off to the next generation. God, we love you and we thank you for Jesus who makes all of this possible and for your Holy Spirit who promises to never leave us alone. We give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. There are certain dates that stand out in our lives, and one of those dates for me was November 24 of 1991. I don't know if you remember anything on that date. Maybe you had someone significant born on that date for you. This wasn't a birth in my life. I was actually at Disney World at this time growing up. One of my great memories of a family vacation that we got to take. But one exciting part of that trip that I didn't anticipate was one night we were finished and worn out from all the rides. We got back to our hotel and we discovered on the television, we turned it on, that there was going to be a shuttle being launched from Cape Canaveral, Florida that night, 75 miles away from where our hotel was located. And I remember standing there beside my dad. I think my brother had maybe already gone to sleep. And so my mom was in the house or the hotel with him. And, and I remember standing out on the grass outside of the hotel with my dad, watching this ball of fire just kind of go up and light up the night sky. We were 75 miles away, and yet I remember how vividly this, this reminder of the space shuttle that launched. I look back this week, and it was the mission STS-44. It wasn't a significant mission in many ways. It had some things it did along the way. It came back about a week later. And there aren't many memories that are as so, seared so clearly in my mind as that event. And what I had no idea about is I saw the launch happen, but I had no idea about all of the preparation that had happened before that event for that ball of fire to go up in the air. 
I had no idea about the workers that had worked on that launch pad for so long to make sure it went off well. I had no idea about all the disasters that had happened before that, about the math that had been put into it, about all the scientists, the astronauts who had worked all their lives hoping that maybe they would be on a mission such as this. I had no idea about the space race in 91. I had no idea about Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. I had no idea about the Challenger explosion. See, we tend to celebrate the successes of big moments that happen without thinking about all of the work and the stuff that had to go in behind the scenes. Think about the Olympics, right? We see that great moment on stage when they're wearing the gold medal, not thinking about the decades of work for some that have gone into preparing for that moment on the stage when everything went as planned. That night, I had no idea about another moment that had occurred 21 years before that moment. It was April 13 of 1970 when Apollo 13 was 56 hours and 205,000 miles into its mission from Earth to the moon when the astronauts on board heard what they described as a pretty large bang. They initially thought it was a meteor that might have hit their space module. And Apollo 13 gives us a picture of what it might have been like on that ship that day when that moment occurred. Houston, we have a problem. It's a a popular phrase. It's caught, uh, I guess, pop culture to where we use it all the time. Some of you, just a minor incident that happens and that comes right out of your mouth, right? Houston, we have a problem. But on April 13, 1970, there was nothing humorous about that line, which is actually a bit of a misquote from the actual transcripts. But the only way that the Apollo 13 crew would ever be able to return back to Earth safely after that moment was if they admitted that they had a problem. That's the first step, isn't it, always? Because you can't fix a problem until you admit you have a problem. But once you're able to identify the problem, once you're able to admit the problem, this is step one in the recovery process. For those of you who've been through Celebrate Recovery here or maybe walk through that at a different journey of your life, you have to step out of denial. You have to admit that there's a problem. And once you identify the problem, then you can take steps to try to resolve that problem. And thankfully, they were able to do that in the Apollo 13 mission. Church, I'm here to let you know this morning that we've got a problem that we need to address in our launching of disciples, our kids into the world as faithful followers of Jesus. It will do us no service to ignore the problem or diminish the problem. The American church has a problem on our hands, and that's why I wanted to preach this series. And here's the problem. Christianity is on the decline in North America. Now, I want to tell you that in the midst of looking here at our problem, which we need to name, that's not true all over the world. God is doing amazing things on different continents, in Asia, in China, the stories that are coming out in the midst of persecution, in Africa. It's amazing in the global south what God is doing. So let's not forget that God is at work. But when we look around us, we have to name the problem that's around us, and that's a problem here in North America, Pew Research which is a reliable, unbiased, I think as much as you'll find it, research firm has identified this stat. The numbers of adults in the United States who identify as Christians fell from 78% to 71% between 2007 and 2014. Just look at that number for just a moment. That's seven percentage points in seven years. But when it comes to millennials who are leaving high school, here's the news that I want us to key in on. Statistically, one in two in our student ministry will leave 
the Christian faith within a few years of leaving high school. I don't want you to let that stat just be a statistic to you. I want you to imagine all of the different classes that we have that are taught during our class period, all of the different grade levels that we have from the babies that we'll celebrate next week that'll grow up together to the seniors that'll graduate in just a few weeks. And I want you to imagine those pictures and those classes on the screen right now with a red X through every other person on that screen. That's what that stat tells us. It's not just a statistic. It's real people that we care about. We want to see faith passed on to church. We've got a problem. And if we continue to ignore the problem, the problem will only get larger. But if we decide to name that problem, I believe we can discover a solution together. Church, I won't stand up here and accept that problem. Uh, Act like it's not there. I want us to name it and I want us to deal with it. Greenville Oaks desires to be a church that changes that stat. We want to be a launching pad that walks with parents to help make disciples of our children. Do you want that church? Do you want that church? Because these are my kids we're talking about. These are your kids we're, we're talking about. These are our kids that we're talking about. And my hope is at the end of this series that we'll have more hope than we have at this moment about the future of all of that about how we can build a launch pad here that allows them 18 years to gather what they need before they're sent out as missionaries into the world with bold faith, a bolder faith than many of us have had so that it'll be sustained for the next generation of the church ahead. Before we construct that launch pad together, before we think about all that we need to do to make sure that we're doing all of that well, I want to point back to a point in previous generations in in the Bible and take some cues from the story of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles this morning, open, if you would, to uh, the book of Nehemiah. You have all those first and seconds in the Old Testament, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. This is before we get to Psalms. So if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open there with me. Before I read from this book, I want to set the context for you. In 586 B.C., Almost 600 years before Jesus was born, the city of Jerusalem lay in ruins. Its walls were broken down, its gates had turned to ashes, and many of the people who were there had been taken as slaves to Babylon. It was Israel's 9-11 moment. It's the year that was there in all of their memories about the worst that had happened. It was when the kingdom had all fallen down and exile was on its way, even for Jerusalem. In 445 BC, which is 120 years after that moment, a guy named Nehemiah, who is cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, feels a burden to do something about the ruins of the city that his people had come from, about the city of Jerusalem. I want to pick up in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, as we read this story and try to look at how Nehemiah and those who were present in that day dealt with their own problem. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, uh, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now perhaps there are others who had this dream to do something about the ruins of Jerusalem, but Nehemiah is burdened to the point of action in this year. 
And in verses 5 and following, in the prayer that follows, we see Nehemiah really calling out the problems that are present, repenting of the sins of Israel, calling to affect his own sin in the midst of that. He's repenting on behalf of a people. And it all starts because Nehemiah is bold enough to name the problem that's going on in Jerusalem. The problem is this, the wall in Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned down. Now, here's a true principle for us this morning. You will never rebuild the walls of your life until you have first become greatly concerned about the ruins of your life. You'll never be able to rebuild your life until you can name the the sources of where the ruins lie in your life. And and so I'm wondering this morning if maybe we need to start from this place of repentance. We need to start from this place that names the problem but actually sees the ruins and builds up a heart that wants to do something about that. That's what this sermon is really all about this morning is trying to name that problem, trying to lament the fact that we're not where we want to be and we can be in a better place. Nehemiah is concerned, and I want you to show, I want to show you how it affects Nehemiah. This is chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king, Nehemiah says. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. The king can just feel how much this makes a difference to Nehemiah. He's prayed, he's cried out to God, and he's not okay with the situation, the problem at hand. And and it affects him so much that in his disposition, people are asking him, something's wrong, something's changed, something, what is it, Nehemiah? And I'm wondering if, how many of us this morning are are burdened so much with the state of Christianity in North America that people can notice something's wrong in our disposition? We will not see revival until that begins to happen, until we repent and we ask God to help us do something about the problem. The king is so moved by Nehemiah's request that he grants his request. But not only does he say, go, go with a few people, he sends his cavalry, he sends his army to go and help rebuild the wall around the city. It's amazing when one person feels a burden for something, how others will respond to the integrity of that person and the problem that's named. And when he arrives in the city, he names the problem and he inspires the people of Jerusalem who've had these burned gates and these torn down walls. He inspires those people who've been doing nothing about the problem in their own city to begin to take action because there's a leader who names the problem and is burdened by it. Listen to Nehemiah 2 verses 17 and 18. And then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. And its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. 
And in this one of the most remarkable moments, I think, in construction history, here this group of people are able to rebuild the walls of the city in 52 days. Perhaps one day we'll, we'll get to come back and walk through the entire book in a series or class. But today what I want to do is I want to point out to you one of the strategies that Nehemiah uses in the construction of the walls of that city that I think is a, a strategy that we need to see as part of building the launch pad for rebuilding the faith of the next generation. Halfway through Nehemiah's wall building effort, the people got tired, which happens in this sort of thing, right? And when morale began to shift, isn't it interesting? When we get tired, those who are adversaries don't get tired. And that's exactly what the people face. Sanballat, who's the enemy of the people of Israel, is, is making all of these you know, uh, insults against, against Israel. Insults against these people who are building up the wall. And they're actually beginning to attack in this scene. And, and, and he begins to intensify the assault when he sees their weariness. In this moment, Nehemiah does something genius. And I want you to pay close attention to the strategy that he employs. This is Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 and following. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to the Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. There's a small detail in these verses that's easy to miss in the larger picture of the scene, but I think it's vital for us to see this morning as we've named this problem as a church. Nehemiah is a genius. In verse 13, Nehemiah recognizes the entire force and he strategizes about how he's going to do this. And what he does is he sets them at the exposed places, at the low places in the wall. But did you notice the verse or what comes right after that? He posted them by families. He called them to fight for their families. When they're fighting here, they see their sons. They see their daughters. And now at this point, he's making the vision personal to these people. Nehemiah's simple philosophy is inspire every parent to fight for their family. Listen, church, no one has the potential to be a champion for their child's spiritual journey like you do. That's the task you've been given. That's the calling that God has placed on your life as a parent, if that's the role and the gift that God has given to you. And when parents stand in the gap, in the exposed places, what happens in this story is the enemy decided not to attack. Because it's one thing to fight for a principle, and it's another thing to fight for the people that you love most. And as I think about the challenge, as I think about the problem we're trying to name today about passing off faith to the next generation, what I want to say to those of you who are parents is stand in the gap with your kids. 
Make this personal. Don't make this some kind of statistical issue out there. This is about your own kids. This is about your own grandkids, for those of you who are grandparents. And if, if those of you don't have parent, kids or grandkids, let me tell you, this church family is intended to be a place where you come and you name these kids as your own. You fight for their faith as well. But there's another thing that they do in this scene that's easy to forget because we want to get to strategy. How do we fix this? How do we, how do we do all the work, right? But that's not where they start. And where they start is where I want to start this morning as we launch the series. And that comes back in chapter 4, verse 9. Let me read this again. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. They prayed. I cannot tell you how many times in my life that my life has been spared or pointed in the right direction when I wouldn't have had the wisdom to do it on my own were it not for the prayers of my mom and my dad. I believe that prayer is a powerful way that God moves in our lives. And I can't tell you how many times that the Satan or the evil one had things set up against my life that I believe my mom and my dad's prayers tore down because God heard the prayers of parents who lifted up their kids for faith. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to close with a time of prayer. We're going to pray to God and post ourselves as families in the exposed places for our kids. We're going to pray to God on behalf of other families as well. So I want to do right now is I want to invite those who've been prepared to do so, the kids who are coming in right now, the students, to be prepared. They have cards in their hand, and these cards are the names of every single child birthed through 18 years of age in our church. So if you, uh, if, I'd like to ask those, every family unit, if you would, to raise your hand right now. We want one per family unit. If you're single, that means one card. If you're a, a family of two, that's one card. If it's a family of eight, one card. If you want to sneak another, there's no problem with grabbing more than one card as we pray for them. And these, these uh, kids will be passing them out to you. And I want you to, as they're passing them out, realize these are some of the kids we're praying for, Right? There's others that are worshiping right now. And each of these cards has a first name and then a a last initial. Uh, And these kids, what I want us to do over the next five weeks as we're walking through the series is what I want to ask you to do is I want you to be lifting up the name of the child on your card for these five weeks. I want you to pray for your own kids. I want you to pray for anyone and everyone in our church. Don't don't just limit it to that, but we want to cover every single child. And this is a way that we uh, can do that. So as these cards continue to pass, I want you to think about where you'll place this card. Maybe it's on your dashboard. Maybe you're, you're going to place this card on your, on your refrigerator or maybe on a bathroom mirror. Some place that you're going to see it and come across it. And I want you to pray for that child. And if, if you're interested to find out more about who that child is and perhaps send an email to the parent of that child to find out if there's more specific things you can be praying for in their life, please do that. Uh, send, send an email to Samantha at GreenvilleOaks.org, our children's minister, or to Wes at greenvilleoaks.org, our student minister, and they'd love to fill you in more and uh, let you know how you can uh, get in touch with a parent to find out more specific prayers. But this morning, as we close our time, as these cards to continue to be prayer, uh, passed out, I want us to spend some time in prayer uh, this morning, right now. And what I want to ask is that we don't just pray this prayer as just the normal prayer that we pray. Sometimes we get caught in the monotony of just kind of these rote prayers that we offer to God. But I want to ask that we pray with fervency and pray on behalf of these kids that we stand in those exposed places. There are those that still haven't gotten cards that would like them. If you raise a hand, we want to make sure that that gets to every family unit that's here. 
I'm grateful for, uh, for all of you that are taking those right now. So what I want to ask is, as we close this service, I want us to spend time in prayer for our kids. And, and I want us to do that in, 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 a, in a special way this morning. There's a verse I want to read that I want to pray over our kids that comes in Lamentations of all places. Lamentations chapter 2, verse 19. Just listen to this verse. Maybe this becomes a verse that you want to, uh, to, to keep in mind as you're praying in the days ahead. It says, arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. And then I love this. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at every street corner. Lift up your hands, praying for the lives of your children. So right now what I want to ask is maybe that's the most comfortable thing for you is just to raise a hand where you are. Second, first Timothy two talks about this, that we would raise our hands to God in prayer, or maybe you want to, uh, to bow on your knees this morning. That's where I, the position I'm going to take this morning, because I want us to, to, to take that prayer to God with fervency. And there's something about our posture when we pray. And so if you're in a place, you can do that, or maybe you're with your kids. I want to ask you if you get on a knee or on both knees and pray to God. If you can't do that, that's just fine this morning, but let us pray to God together on behalf of our kids. Let us cry out on behalf of this generation. God, we, uh, we lift our hands to you and we come before you today about a problem that's here in, in this country, God. God, we, we're grateful to grow up in this place where faith has been passed on, where we've sent out missionaries to other places. God, you've been so faithful in the past, but what we recognize is that things are turning and that they're turning in directions, God, opposite of what you want for our kids. So our prayer this morning as we lift our hands is that you would save their lives. That you would be with those that we'll celebrate next week, that we'll dedicate to you, and that we would covenant with them to raise these babies with the prayer that one day they would utter that Jesus is Lord from this baptistry and from camp baptistries and from retreat baptistries they'll be a part of. And God, we pray for each kid from toddler age to elementary age to middle school in those difficult years, but also the years where faith is often blooming and being planted. And we pray for those who are seniors, and we pray for those at every stage of the high school journey. And we lift up each one. The names that are on these cards, God, you know their name. You know the number of hairs on their head. You know their parents. You know the rooting of faith that's being passed on. And we know also the evil one that wants to pluck away those seeds. And so God, what we do right now is we ask that you would protect them from the evil one and that you would allow us to build a launch pad, God, not that we would be helicopter parents or grandparents that would try to protect them and keep them here, but realize that our, our job here is to launch them eventually and to launch them without fear into the world as disciples who are firmly rooted in you. And so God, our prayer is right now that you would help us in every way we possibly can to care about every single kid who walks through these doors and those who don't in our community. And we would be a place that people would come to say, God, we don't know what's going on in that church, but we know this is a church that cares deeply about passing on faith to kids and launching them into the world. And if that's what they're about, that's what we want to be about. God, may we see differences in this city and in this county as a result of these prayers and as a result of the efforts of volunteerism that happens. God, I thank you for every teacher in this place. And instructs our kids in the way of Jesus and in the story of Scripture. 
I thank you for every nursery worker that, that holds babies, God, and prays prayers over them, even in those quiet moments of, of sleeping in their arms. And we thank you for the ways that they minister. I thank you for every parent that's worn out through the week and yet continues to serve on Sunday morning in their kids' classes and the classes of others. I thank you for every adult volunteer and young adult volunteer that walks into our student ministry every Sunday night and serves as uh, small group leaders over our students. Because God, parents can't do this on our own. It takes a village. It takes a community. And so God, we beg you, we beg heaven and all of your angels and, and every resource you have to send our way that you would help us as a church pass on the deposit of faith you've given to us. So God, would you protect and would you nurture faith? And God, as we look forward to celebrating our seniors in just a few weeks, we pray that you would help them launch well as well into the world. God, we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus who lives and is seated at your right hand. We pray this in his name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you in your walk to find real significance in Jesus. Connect with us on Twitter. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.